Sad. 
a lot to praise him for. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. I see smiles. That's wonderful. I love seeing you smiling. I'm glad you're here. We've been waiting for you this morning. Would you stand with me? And let's welcome the Holy Spirit in today. Oh, Father, we thank you for being here. Lord, we want to give you our offerings of praise this morning. So we ask you to feel free to move in us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just come in and take over. Lord, you are our welcome guest. We love you with all of our hearts, and your people are here for you. So help to calm us down. We may have had a busy morning getting here, but Lord, just calm our spirits and let us just know that you're here with us. Lord, surround this place with protection and let your kids just sing at the top of their lungs for you. We love you, Jesus, and we welcome you here. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's praise him this morning. I can't count the times I've called and some broken nights. You showed up, patched me up like you do every time I get amnesia, I forget that 
Let them know we're glad they're here because we're glad you're here too. it's good to hear you guys you know just a few months ago everybody was scared to get too close to each other and now I see people running across the room and big smiles on your faces and everybody's excited to see each other and man it's so good to be in God's house where we can come fellowship get our strength back for the week Did you guys have a rough week or a good week Good week? Awesome. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that. But I know there's some people that struggled, had a hard week. We had a couple of us here in worship team had a hard week. We pushed through. We're trusting Jesus. But sometimes it's hard, and that's okay, because always, he always comes through, right? And our week could be somebody else's good week. So, But let me read some scripture to you. I want to share this with you guys this morning. It's out of Revelation 5. Listen to this. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of a thousand, of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of the living, oh, I need my glasses, <laughs> and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? Can you guys picture that? Do you ever close your eyes after you read something like that and you go, what is that going to be like? Because it's real. It's going to happen. It's happening now. They're praising him forever. So this is our practice time. This is our warm-up. We're in the warm-up room right now to worship. But I want to give them everything that I've got in me. Even when I feel weak and worn out, and like I don't have a whole lot to put up there, he still hears our groan. And sometimes all we can do is just put our hand down and say, this is all I have today, Lord. And that's okay, because he just wants whatever we've got to give him. I just love the fact that we can come to him and worship him in that way. 
even when we feel dry or out in the desert. Have you been in the desert? I've been in the desert too. But he wants to just give you a little bit of his reign where he rains down on us and fills us back up again. So we're going to continue to worship him through that.
feeling him? Can you tell he's here? We've been praying for you guys this morning. We had a prayer team come in and pray over every chair. You guys have been prayed over this morning. I want to remind you that there are prayer cards on your chairs. If you need prayer, we take it very seriously here. There is nothing better than taking people and presenting them to our Father. We stand in the gap for you every week on Wednesdays. You guys can come. It's wonderful. Our prayer nights have been just so rich. You're missing out if you're not here. They're so good. We don't want to leave when it's over, so people usually just kind of sit here and hang out. But um, it is a beautiful time. But we take those prayer request cards that you fill out. If they're private, mark the little box. I take those very serious. No one will know, but we will pray. And so you guys can just feel safe with that. We take that. That uh, privacy is very protected. And so you can fill those out and um, put them in the offering plate. If that's not enough time for you, then give them to me after the service, and I will hand carry them there for you. So we consider it an honor to pray for you guys. So we're going to continue worshiping and uh, praising him. Every time I tried to make it on my own Every time I tried to stand and start to fall And all those lonely roads that I had traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Bye. 
Thank you, Jesus, for always being there for us. Man, he's there through thin and thick. Whether I choose him or not, he's still there. It's awesome. We're going to have our, our ushers come forward, and uh, we're going to do offering, and then we'll do one more worship song. So come on forward. Let's pray. This is part of our worship, is giving back to him. And um, it's such a blessing to be able to give to him. It is just so beautiful to watch what he does with it. So let's pray over our offering. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you so much for being here this morning, Lord. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you give us. Father, every little thing that you do for us that goes unnoticed, we thank you. We take you for granted a lot, Lord. That paycheck comes in. And we just assume it's ours. But Lord, I just pray that we will give back to you because you've been so loving and giving to us. Lord, bless this offering and multiply it. Use it for your kingdom. Use it to win souls, Lord. And Lord, we love you. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you in your name. Amen. We will continue to worship. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. And my God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. For the battle belongs 
but you see him. He doesn't fool you. Make us aware of that so we don't fall for any of the snares that he sets. But Lord, keep our eyes focused on you, the victor, because you are the one that has won all the battles. We're just walking the trail now. Lord, I pray that you will make us mighty prayer warriors in this church. Jesus, we need you to be the helm 
we need you to take over in us, in our homes, in our church, in our community. If you're not the center of all of that, none of this matters. Doesn't matter how pretty we dress. Doesn't matter that we come here and serve you if you are not the focus. This is your day, not ours. So you take us, Jesus, and mold us. Till our hearts to receive your word. Turn our minds to you and don't let us get distracted. Lord, we love you and we know you're going to do great and mighty things here. So help us, Lord, to be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us when someone pops into our mind, not to ignore that, but take that as a prompting that you want us to pray for them. Lord, no man's left behind with you. You will chase us down and pull us out of the ravine, even if we are sheep that run back and dive back into the hole. Lord, we know you'll chase us. We thank you for loving us that much. And for anyone here that's feeling lonely or lost, Lord, I pray that you'll meet them in their seat, in their chair right now. Let them know how much you love them. Let the people around them love on them the way that you would. And let them know that you're real because you are real. And we get to do heaven with you in the perfect timing. Whenever that is, you decide. But thank you for making a place for us and for making a way through your son. So you take over the rest of this service, Lord. You are the guest here. And you are the one that we keep our eyes on and follow. And we love you. Jesus, precious, holy, magnificent, wonderful, extravagant name, we all pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a couple reminders for you to let you know that we have Wednesday night is prayer night. Please come. We want to see you there. It is awesome, and you don't have to pray out loud. If you're not comfortable, you can pray inside. We have prayer stations. It is an awesome time with Jesus and with each other. We love being there. So please come. You will be blessed. I know he won't let you leave without feeling his presence and him changing you. The other thing that we have is a women's Bible study that is coming up, and it starts on, and you know what, forgive me because I don't have my notes. September 9th, Julie Loring is the contact. It's going to be wonderful. So you can talk to her after the service, and that is going to be a wonderful thing. Scott, where are you? Is, there, is he in here? Okay. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Are we good? Men's Bible study, 9 a.m. on Friday. Thank you so much. All right. So just to remind you of a couple of those things, we'll be sending some e-blasts out to you guys, too, so you're aware of them. And Pastor Tim is going to come and give us God's word. So thank you so much. Thank you. Man, it's good to see you today. Is it just me or are there more of you here than there have been? You look good. I'm just telling you, you look good. You look really good from where I'm standing. You look, you look pretty awesome, except for Larry here on the front row. But the rest of you look real good. 
there is joy in coming into this place. There is joy in knowing that He has been here waiting on us before we ever got here. When you came in today, you may have found a little flyer on the seat. That's kind of some notes for today. It's got the outline from two weeks ago when we preached from uh, uh, Matthew 5.3. But it also has some the uh, fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. If you're into that, you can feel comfortable to do that. If you can figure out what goes in the blank. And if you can't, just put anything in there. Just make up your own... Make up your own sermon outline for today, if you will. If you have a Bible with you, you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Most of you probably know that Matthew chapter 5 begins what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is probably the most comprehensive portion of the teachings of Jesus without a parable. Or with a parable coming toward the very near end. And this Sermon on the Mount that we continue to go back to begins with this whole concept of Beatitudes. And two weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we said that this, that was the only Beatitude that spoke in the present tense. The rest of them talk about shall or will, but that one talked about now. This morning we come to verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Yeah, let's just talk about mourning for a while. Let's talk about grief. Let's t- <laughs> but look at the rest of it. For they shall be comforted. Somewhere in the dark, distant past... I read a book, now don't be surprised that I read a book, but I read a book, or maybe it was an article, and the title of it was what I've used for the title of this message, Whatever Happened to the Mourner's Bench. I'm going to use several terms today that some of you are not going to be familiar with. Mourner's Bench is probably one of those. Someone asked me, just tying on to the fact that I, this, this phrase or this title is not original to me. Someone asked me one time, Pastor, are all your sermons original? Can we just be honest here this morning? See, I grew up pastoring in the day when you had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening service and a Wednesday evening service and you had to have a sermon for every one of those. So you just imagine writing three term papers every week and then getting up in front of an audience and telling them what you have in that term paper. That's what it's like. So, I'm 26 years old in my first church and I preached my first sermon there on that first Sunday morning and I go home for lunch and I'm thinking, i got to do that again tonight. When you're doing that every week, you are begging someone to throw you an idea. 
a concept, a title, a story. Give me something. I mean, who do you think buys all those Max Licato books? It's preachers. It's not you. It's preachers. They're looking for something. Someone. So, I say all that to say, this idea of whatever happened to the mourner's bench, that's not a new concept with me. But let me begin again. Somewhere in the dark, distant past, I read a book or an article somewhere where I came across that little phrase, whatever happened to the mourner's bench. And that thought resurfaced when I came to this beatitude. Whatever happened to the mourner's bench? So let me answer that question for you. Because some of you, most of you, have never heard the term mourner's bench. But it fits perfectly into this text. A little bit of history. In 1806 or 1807, in the city of New York, and under the leadership of the Methodist church, a revival broke out. Now that word revival may be new to some of you as well. But it basically means a time of spiritual renewal that takes place normally within the life of a congregation where they become much more spiritually sensitive and hungry to see what God would do with their life. Well, that kind of a, they, they are driven to repentance. And that kind of a thing broke out. And it was different than anything New York City had ever experienced. And during that season of spiritual renewal, it became the practice of sinners who were seeking salvation through repentance to come to the altar or to the front bench in the church to pray. They would kneel and pray. And it was done because conviction, that's another word we don't hear much anymore, but conviction, a, 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 a heaviness, was so much upon them that people were kneeling all over the building. And it became almost impossible to get to them to pray with them. So, inviting them to come to the front eliminated that confusion. Well, as that revival continued through the colonies, the altar was widely used by the Methodists, and all the churches that were participating in this season of spiritual renewal. And in Kentucky and in Tennessee and some throughout the South, these tremendous crowds of country folk were coming. And they gathered at these religious services. And the altar became known as the mourner's bench. Now it was usually just a crude plank that was held up by perhaps some wooden blocks. But it was so crude that it couldn't actually be called an altar. Maybe because those seeking help were under conviction or under guilt, or, or the history of that era tells us that the, that the building would be filled with wails of people who were in sorrow and remorse, and it would fill the air. And a place of mourning was all those people were looking for. It was all they desired. So a mourner's bench was the name given to an altar. And the name emphasizes that it was not there to be primarily a thing of beauty. It was there to be a place of repentance. It was a mourner's bench. So it's a valid question. Whatever happened to it? Where did it go? 
I, I agree, the piece of furniture is still here. It's still part of most evangelical churches. But we have made certain that it would be called the altar because the term mourner's bench seemed so dated and not quite as sophisticated as we like to think our church should be. So we make it the altar because we're not sure that it's rugged enough to be called a mourner's bench. But then we come face to face with this unsettling teaching of Jesus. Blessed are those, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So here we are. Here we are. The world and our very nature says enjoy, be happy, love life. And Jesus says, grieve, mourn. And we have this mystifying paradox. I mean, we can trace this line of thinking throughout the Word of God. In Isaiah 61, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to comfort all that mourn, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of happiness. Or in James chapter 4, it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what's the next part? And He shall lift you up. And He shall lift you up. As we read these verses you cannot help but wonder what Jesus really meant. One version translates verse 5 like this. Happy are those who are sad. Boy, now that is a paradox there. I'm not sure I grasp that uh, paraphrase. But what did Jesus mean? What was Jesus saying? What's all this talk about mourning and sadness? Well, let's look at the definition of mourning. That would be your first empty blank if you want to fill it in. Maybe it would be most helpful, though, to think in terms of what it doesn't mean. What this little beatitude doesn't mean. It does not mean that it is a... Listen. It does not mean that it is some great privilege to lose a loved one and to be in grief. That's not what it means. Some have interpreted this beatitude to mean that it's a blessed thing to suffer some kind of a calamity. And we often hear people who say that they, they were made better by being tried. And I understand what they're saying, but there are just as many people who have been made hard and selfish and bitter against God from the hopelessness, the pressure of it all. So the more I read, the more I realized that the mourner is not necessarily one who weeps. Hear me. He is rather one who expresses a deep concern or carries a burden. And I also noted that the word comfort in this beatitude comes from two words which mean with strength. 
So this beatitude could realistically read, blessed or happy are those who are concerned or burdened, for they shall receive strength. Now, if the one that you're concerned about or burdened for, if they die, you you might express grief by crying or, or by praying. But tears are not necessarily essential to mourning. But deep concern is. Two weeks ago, when we looked at verse 3, Jesus said that before you get into His kingdom, you must recognize your own spiritual poverty and be conscious of your own need of the kingdom. Well, that's very, very important, but it's not enough. We get to verse 4 and we realize that there must be a concern, a burden about this bankrupt condition that's so deep that it's going to find some expression. I am concerned about where I am. I'm burdened about the way I'm living. So it's a call to be really grieved that things are the way they are. You see, those people who aren't really mourners, they will say, well, you know, sure, the world's a mess, and I guess I'm about as guilty as anyone else, but I mean, what can I do about it? And what they're really saying is they're not concerned enough or burdened enough about themselves or the world to look for anything to do about it. There's no great burden. They aren't grieved. They don't mourn. And if things, events, the past few weeks in our world haven't been enough to make mourners of us all, I'm not sure what it will take to place upon us a burden and a sense of grief for the way that our world is responding. Because you see, for the citizens of of God's kingdom, it's, it's different. The citizen of God's kingdom finds no joy in just sitting around and contemplating his miserable failure. No. He's sick and he knows it, but he wants to get well. When a person realizes that they are bankrupt of spiritual assets that would make them acceptable to God, that person will mourn. So the mourners Jesus is talking about are those who are concerned to the point of action. I am burdened enough. I am concerned enough that I will do something within my ability about it. If it's me personally, I will find my way to a mourner's bench or somewhere to have a conversation with God. Or if it's something going on in my world, I will be the one who prays for that situation. I will give to help those people in need. I will do something. So the mourners Jesus is talking about are really those who are concerned to the point of action. I'm concerned enough for myself that I'm going to do something about it. I'm concerned enough about the situation that I'm going to try to help. 
But you also have to notice the direction of mourning here. That's blank number two. What do we do with this information? Isn't that what has to happen at the end of every sermon? And don't get your hopes up because I'm not at the end yet. What do I do with this information? If the mourner is one who is concerned or carries a burden, what or who is the mourner concerned about? And it would appear to me that mourning is directed in at least three different areas. First of all, we have to be burdened for our own sin. What a revelation it is for us when we realize that we are the one that's lost. And that mourning leads to repentance and conversion. But it doesn't stop there. Instead, it continues throughout the life of the believer. The greatest saints are those who realize most keenly how far they fall short of perfect Christ-likeness. And at some level, they mourn over that. Listen, I've been doing this for 50 years. I've been a believer since I was 12. Went to church from the moment I was born. But there are still times in my 73-year-old life when I realize I still need more of who He is. And I'm hungry for more of who He is. And I want more of what He has for me. And I find how easy it is at 73 years of age to just kind of sit back and relax. The most heartbreaking thing I think to observe as a pastor is people who think they are so magnificent spiritually. Oh, I've got it all together. (laughs) I attend church here off and on if I'm not preaching somewhere else. And I preach here as often as you allow me to. But most of you don't know me. And I don't know a lot of you really know you. Can we talk honestly this morning? Can you take truth from someone that you don't know very well? Happy are those who express the need for forgiveness for they shall receive comfort. We need to be burdened for our own sin. But we also need to be burdened for our neighbor's sin. And we're not. We're not. Most of us couldn't care less about the person that lives next door. And this is the price of real spiritual awakening in a community. Someone said the gospel goes where the mourners go. Those with a burden. Those who are burdened the lost. Maybe one reason we don't carry a burden for the lost is because we don't know any.
I mean really know them. We rub shoulders with someone at work and we tell jokes to one another and we kind of have this working relationship or there are the people who live next door and we say hi to them when we go out and get in the car. But those of us in the church have lived in our little enclave of born-again believers so long that we never hang out with people socially, intimately, who don't know Jesus. And maybe it's a defense mechanism. We feel that if we don't get involved, then we won't care. And we're right. So we don't make the effort. Someone said the cross is the proof that sin troubled God. Has it troubled you? A friend asked me recently, Tim, how do you get a burden for people? Well, you begin by opening up your life to them. By more than just saying hi or waving across the backyard fence. You call on occasion. You write a note. You foster a friendship. You get to know someone who doesn't know Jesus. And most of us in the church hang out with church people. With the exception of some family members that we spend some time with who aren't believers, we don't know people or hang out with people who don't know Jesus or don't go to church. We don't hang out with sinners whereas Jesus did... Let me back up. We do hang out with sinners. But we all just call ourselves Christians. But Jesus hung out with people who didn't call themselves believers. And the Pharisees were incensed and said, He even eats with them. What was he doing? He was exercising a little friendship evangelism. When I pastored Denver First Church, and most of you have no idea where that is or what it is, well, it's in Denver. (laughs) And it's a large church. And I was concerned because I didn't know a lot of people that weren't part of that large church. We would have 2,000 people on a Sunday morning. And it is very easy to become isolated in that crowd. And in about 2001, I got this. Well, I decided I wanted a motorcycle. I was old enough. I was in my 50s or so. I could get a motorcycle. And so I bought one. And I started riding it. And then I discovered that other guys in the church also had motorcycles. And we started riding together. And we started this thing where one Saturday a month we would meet at some restaurant and have breakfast and then we'd take a ride. And then I heard about a church in Ohio that was doing a thing they called Biker Sunday. Where they they were trying to get as many bikers as they could to come to church that morning. And I thought, well, what, what have I got to lose? I'll invite bikers to come. And so we started that process. 
And suddenly I realized that those guys that were coming and riding their motorcycles to that Saturday morning breakfast, many of them were people who didn't come to church very often, if at all. But suddenly we had a point of connection. And they had an opportunity to hang out with their pastor and with other guys that were like them. And I got this idea, I'm going to try that biker Sunday thing. And so on a Sunday morning in the summer, I mean, we had worked hard to make it a big deal. And it was interesting, I had great posters printed up, full color posters, and I would give them to people in the church and say, take these places and hang them. And it was, it was my old people who took those posters and went to the biker bars and said, we'll put them in here. And on that Sunday morning, I wish you could have seen it. I wish I could have found a picture to show you. But that Sunday morning, the first time we did it, if you had driven by our church, you would have thought, well, you wouldn't have known what was going on. We had 350 motorcycles parked out across the front of that church. And most of those people that rode those motorcycles did not attend my church. They came because someone invited them to come. Someone that they knew. And what it did was it gave people in my church an outlet or an opportunity to speak to someone and invite them to come to something at the church that they might never have invited them for any other way. And that Sunday morning, we had nine motorcycles on the platform, six of them on different heights of risers. There was a, a, a custom-built chopper about 10 feet off the ground on the platform, and there were two dirt bikes hanging by chains from the ceiling. And I thought, I'm going to lose my license to preach if I'm not careful. But instead of our full 30-piece orchestra, we had the, the band playing that morning. And it was the most exciting thing to see a church on a, on a summer Sunday morning filled with excitement and energy and peppered out across that congregation Though there were 350 motorcycles, there were more than 350 people that were new that day because some of those guys brought their wife with them. Some of those motorcycles had two. And there was one couple that came, and they were older in my opinion. I was, what, 50? Two. They were older, I thought. He rode on a motorcycle. She came on a motorcycle with a sidecar, and she had her dog Ruby in the sidecar. And let me tell you, if you'd driven by that day and seen 350 motorcycles parked in front of this church, you would have also seen vendors set up in the parking lot. And you would have seen, you would have seen the smoke rising from burnt offerings, which were hamburgers on the grill. Because we fed every one of those that came. And we had special t-shirts printed. I wanted to be able to go to Walmart one day and see a guy I didn't know walking through there with a, with a shirt on it that he wasn't ashamed of that said Biker Sunday 2002. We had a hundred in the choir that morning and every one of them had on one of those biker shirts. 
those t-shirts I'd had printed. And I preached and invited people to accept Christ, and they did. And as the service came to an end, you know, there used to be a praise and worship tune we would sing called, Let the Glory of the Lord Rise Among Us. You remember? You remember that? Ever hear that one? We changed the words. Let the glory of the Lord ride among us. And as we started to sing that at the conclusion, with that full choir there, and the band kicked it up, and we had brought the brass in, so we had the trumpets. And a guy climbed up on that motorcycle that was on that 10-foot podium. And it was this chopper with hardly any mufflers on it at all. And he cranked that thing up and started revving that engine, and those trumpets were screaming, and that crowd was standing with their hands in the air, singing, let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord ride among us. And I want to tell you, every time he would rev the engine on that chopper, the older people in my congregation would raise their hands higher. There was something going on in that place. And Mark, if I'm, if I'm overstating the case, you can tell them later because they were there. That couple, the older gentleman and the lady that came in with the sidecar, they found Christ. You know, the next, they started coming to church. They hadn't been going to church anywhere. The next Biker Sunday, the next year, that gentleman and his wife were up in the choir with their shirts on, singing about the glory of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what happens when we get outside of our little comfort zone and we start trying to do something that lets somebody else know about Jesus. Somebody that we don't know in some way that we might even be a little uncomfortable with. Pastor, did you get pushback from people about having nine motorcycles on the platform and hamburgers in the yard and 350 motorcycles out in the parking lot? Not one time. And Biker Sunday became the largest attendance we had every summer. People would write to me and say, when is Biker Sunday next year? I'm coming from Kansas or Oklahoma or wherever. And I want to tell you, a friend of mine came from Kansas, brought a friend of his who didn't attend church. They sat back under the balcony. And after church, my friend told me that his friend had said to him, I've never been in a church like this. Man, I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where people are discovering what it means to have a burden for those who are lost. Enough of a burden that they're willing to put themselves out on a limb in order to try to reach someone else. Two weeks ago when I preached here, after I finished, I got in the car and I drove to Walmart and I bought a clock and I put it on the wall back there. So I would know where I am. So let me just quickly say the third thing, direction, is we must be burdened for our neighbor's pain. See, we, we have a tendency to isolate ourselves from other people and then ask God to give us a burden for some other people. 
Let me back that up. No, we don't ask Him for that. We don't ask Him for a burden. And we don't get a burden just by sitting home and watching gun smoke. And I love gun smoke. We aren't burdened for anyone individually because we don't know anyone. Because to do that, we have to get involved in the life of another family. You invite them to your home. You weep with them when they weep. You celebrate when they have a victory. You get to know them. See, Christianity is supposed to have an element of caring associated with it. And the happiest people in the world are those who choose to care. As a pastor across those years, I often discovered that the days that were the most rewarding for me or the most fulfilling were often the days that I spent in a hospital waiting room with a member of my church or with someone I didn't even know but had asked me to come. Okay, pastor, but uh, where does this they shall be comforted? What about that part? Well, if you're filling in the little outline there, that's called the dividends of mourning. Peter taught us that the sufferings of Jesus are a pattern for us to follow. In the book of Revelation, John painted on this mighty canvas the picture of those who came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And that's another concept we don't know much about these days. The blood of the Lamb. And some of you hear me say that and you think, what in the world are you talking about? We'll talk about that someday later if I'm here long enough. If you wait long enough to get a new pastor, we're going to talk about that one of these days. Paul and Silas received the garment of praise for the spirit of happiness. As with sore backs, they sang songs at midnight in the jail at Philippi and Maybe it was something close to that old verse that says, Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season. And all the day long. The comfort, the dividend of this beatitude means joy, beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Joy that is not the opposite of pain. In fact, no joy is. But it comes because of the pain or through the pain. They shall be comforted. First of all, it's the comfort of forgiveness. Hmm. Hmm. See, I'm I'm so old, I just tell you stories, and I apologize. I, uh, I was 12 years old when I came to Christ, and I, sometimes I look back and think, What had I done that was so wrong at 12 years of age? 
that when I came to Christ, I felt like I just had to confess my sins. And all of them. What were they? I don't know. I just know on a Sunday morning in that little church we attended, a guest speaker came. He was an evangelist. And after he spoke, I felt compelled to move to a mourner's bench and kneel there and cry out to God from my 12-year-old spirit. There was this heaviness, this burden. I remember what it was. It wasn't so much the sin as it was fear. Because Khrushchev had moved missiles into Cuba. And there was every possibility that my Wichita, Kansas would be blown off the face of the map because McConnell Air Force Base was there. And I was frightened. And I knelt at an altar, not unlike this one, and asked God to forgive me because I wanted to be ready, you know. And it is not the fear that I remember. It is standing up from that wooden bench and feeling as though a million pounds had been lifted off my shoulders. I didn't have anything to fear. I didn't have anything to worry about. I was forgiven. Barclay paraphrases this beatitude like this. Oh, the bliss of the man whose heart is broken for the world's suffering and for his own sin, for out of his sorrow, he will find the joy of God. It's an interesting paradox. When the church had a mourner's bench and used it, the church was happier. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Whatever happened? To the mourner's bench. I wish we could bring it back. Maybe, maybe we would if we could only see ourselves again as being in constant need of God. Maybe we would have to bring it back if we only had some who were mourning under a burden for their own sin or for the lost. Maybe. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father in heaven, Lord God Almighty, Father, these people do not know, but you do, that when I came to this platform this morning, there was, and perhaps still is, no real direction on how to close this service, but it would appear that it would be right to simply say to this crowd today, Lord, to just see if there are any who are burdened for a person, maybe themselves, or that neighbor, or that sibling, or that child, or that parent. Maybe enough so that they would just want to spend a moment at a mourner's bench sharing that burden with you. If so, Father, would you give us the strength today 
as we just wait in your presence. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that you're uncomfortable doing. But if somehow the Spirit of God has put His thumb on your back this morning and you feel like He is inviting you to kneel here at these mourners' benches, I would just invite you to get up from where you're seated and come and join me at one of these. And we'll pray together before we go. Jeff, would you play that cut? Some of you are comfortable praying with other people at an altar, and if you are, would you come just to support these who have responded? You don't have to pray with them. You can just be near them. That point of encouragement for them, just so they know they're not in this alone. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put away childish things. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Almighty God, from the first note this morning, we have sensed your presence in this place, and we do yet today, yet this moment. Lord, there is a hunger within us for you. We're just hungry for you. Believing that when we sense your spirit filling us, all of these other things will begin to kind of fall in place. So Father, today I pray for those who kneel at these mourners' benches as they bring their own issue that they mourn over or as they ask for a burden that they might be more effective for you or as they seek to know you better even though they've been on this journey as long as I have or longer Father would you bring renewal to their spirit today would you bring fresh cleansing to their heart today Would you bring a hunger for the lost, that neighbor, that family member, that co-worker, that other person that came to their mind as we shared today? We are grateful for your presence in this place, Father. We are grateful. Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. 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 God isn't through with your Woodland Park Church. Uh uh. He's just getting his fighting clothes on. He's just getting wound up. He's ready. Some of you will feel the need to slip away and understand that totally, feel that you can. Others may want to sit here and continue to pray. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you peace. Lord bless you today.